want to welcome everybody here today. And if you are new to this church, we are especially glad you made it. We have been praying that you would come. So to get everyone up to speed, we are currently in a series going through First and Second Thessalonians in the Bible. And today is actually the second part of a two-part sermon that we started last week. If you heard last Sunday's message, you know we've been tackling some pretty serious topics, things like death and the afterlife and the end times, you know, fun stuff like that. And we went over this important principle, which says your beliefs about death and the afterlife will have a profound impact on how you live. For instance, if you believe that this life is all there is, and many people do, then what are you most likely living for? Well, there's a good chance that you're just trying to squeeze as much happiness out of this life as humanly possible. Because after all, if we just vanish into nothingness after we die, then there's really no higher purpose than just trying to be happy while we're here. But that's not the message of Christianity. Followers of Jesus believe there is far more to this life than what we can see. And we believe we all have inherent value because we've been created in God's image. And we all have this deep longing for something more, which is really a longing for God. We have this longing because we're meant for a world that's beyond our world. So let's try to understand this. Here's how we've broken down these two weeks. First, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we went there to see what Christians believe about death and the afterlife and the second coming of Jesus. Today we're moving on to chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and and we're going to see how Christians should live in light of those beliefs. Now, in case you missed last Sunday, let me give you a quick overview of what we talked about. Both 1 and 2 Thessalonians were letters written by the Apostle Paul to a group of new Christians. These were recent converts in the city of Thessalonica. And naturally, being new to the faith, they had a lot of questions. And some of their questions had to do with the end times. Now, they knew that Jesus had made a promise to return to earth. And they knew that His return would be a great day for Christians But the Thessalonians were pretty fuzzy about the details around this event. For example, what about those Christians who died before the return of Jesus? What would happen to them? Would they miss out on the good things that were coming? Well, Paul answered that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and his answer not only helped the Thessalonians, it helps us today. So here's the big idea from 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 16. Paul describes this future event, and he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, that passage is a great summary of what Christians believe about the future. We believe that everyone in Christ can claim the hope of a literal resurrection and an eternity with God. And people might say, well, 
How can Christians be confident about that? How can you be so sure that's actually going to happen? And it's pretty simple, really. We believe this future event is going to happen because we believe in a past historical event. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he has the power to raise us as well. So if someone dies in Christ, they're not going to miss out on anything. They're not going to miss out on the second coming. They will be a part of this great reunion. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are still alive in Christ will be caught up as well, and will all be united with Jesus to live forever with him. So, I believe we're all caught up now, and it's time to jump into chapter 5. And what we'll see here is Paul's not ready to change the subject. He still has some important points to make. I believe Paul understood that this topic of the end times, it brings up a lot of questions. And right near the top of that list of questions is, when? When is Jesus coming back? When is the apocalypse going to happen? How much time do we have left? People are naturally curious about this kind of thing, and I totally get that. But what does Paul say? Let's find out. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So, based on that passage, when should we expect Jesus to come back? Can we pinpoint a certain day or a certain year? We can't, can we? And apparently, trying to set the date is not a good use of our time. Paul has a message here. It applies to the Thessalonians, but it also applies to us. He says, don't focus on the timing of the second coming of Christ. Focus on being ready I said earlier, the point of today's sermon is to figure out how we should live in light of the Christian beliefs about death and the afterlife. Right now, we're living in this in-between stage. We're in between the time of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We're somewhere in here. So the big question for today is, how do we live between now and then? We've already seen one of the most important lessons in this chapter. We need to be ready. We need to live in a constant state of readiness. And I realize that that may sound difficult. How how can we live in a constant state of readiness? Well, the truth is, it can be done. There are lots of situations when people have to be ready for something 24 hours a day. Uh, Think about a firefighter. If you're a firefighter, and you're hanging out at the station, you may be eating dinner or cleaning your equipment or running through some training exercise or even sleeping, but you never can get too comfortable, can you? Because that alarm can go off at any moment, and you've got to be up and running in a split second. A firefighter doesn't know exactly when that call is coming, 
You just know it's coming, and you've got to be ready. Here's another example. How about expectant mothers? When that pregnancy gets to 37, 38, 39 weeks, you better be ready, right? That crib should be set up. That go bag should be packed. You don't know exactly when that baby's coming. You just know it could be any day now. So it's the same thing for followers of Christ. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We just need to be ready. But somebody may say, well, why didn't God give us a little more information here? Why didn't he give us an exact date? Think about that. What what if Jesus had said, I will be back in exactly 2,020 years? Wow, if he had said that, we could expect the second coming in our lifetime. And, And wow, man, what would that mean? Do you think we would buckle down and get serious and be as ready as possible if we knew that it was gonna happen in our lifetime? Why didn't God tell us more? Well, I can't answer for God, but I can speak from my own experience. When I was in college, I had a bad habit, procrastination. I can remember the the professor would tell me way ahead of time when a paper was due, but week after week, I'd just blow it off. I would think to myself, yeah, I'll get it done, I'll get it done. And I kind of hesitate to share this, but uh, there was one time when I had to write this long paper, and I didn't even start working on it until after midnight on the day it was due. Now, did I finish the paper? Yes, I did. Was it any good? No, of course not. It was garbage. Now, I happen to know that I'm not the only procrastinator in the world. And if God had given us an exact date for the end of time, it would be very easy for many of us to lose that sense of urgency and put off till tomorrow what we should be doing today. The truth is, Jesus wants us to be ready right now. He wants us to be prepared for his return at any moment. In fact, you can look at the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about his return, and he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then just a few verses later, look at what Jesus says. He says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So Jesus, in Matthew 24, is in perfect agreement with Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. Don't focus on the timing of the second coming. Focus on being ready. So I think we've established that point pretty clearly. So now we got to figure out how to be ready. And we want to go about this the right way because there's definitely a wrong way. Sometimes Christians can fall into this mindset where they're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. It's kind of like they're saying, well, this world is not my home, so I'll focus all my attention on leaving this world and getting to the next one. But that's a big mistake because there's so much that God wants to do through us right here and right now. We're not following God's calling if we just stare at the sky and wait for Jesus. Over in Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples doing that very thing just as Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts 1 verse 10 says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there's a strong implication there, right? These disciples of Jesus, they shouldn't just stand around waiting for him to return. That's not what God wants because there's so much work to be done. Right here in in Acts 1, God is calling these disciples to go start the church and take the message of Jesus all over the world. And it's the same for us today. There's plenty of work to be done. Now, it's, it's great to anticipate the return of Christ, but we shouldn't be preoccupied by the return of Christ. We're not just playing a waiting game here. Being ready means that we should use our time well between now and then. Today, the church still has this mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We're still called to go out and share the compassion of Christ and, and make a positive difference in this world. So let's jump back into 1 Thessalonians and answer this question. How can we be ready? Now, if I had to summarize how Paul answers this question in this letter, I'd break it down into these three categories. If you want to be ready for the return of Christ, you need to do these three things. Number one, be found in Christ. Number two, be faithful to the end. And third, encourage each other. So let's address these categories one at a time. Number one, be found in Christ. What are we talking about there? Well, right here, we are zeroing in on the most important fact about you, no matter who you are. See, in this moment, you either have a life-changing relationship with Jesus or you don't. And if you have that relationship, you are in Christ And based on the teaching of the New Testament, here's what that looks like. If you are in Christ, you've come to the realization that Jesus is who he said he is. You've also come to the realization that you are a sinner, and your sin separated you from God, and you deserve death as a result of your sin. You've recognized that you can't solve your sin problem on your own. You need a Savior. And you've recognized that Jesus came to earth to die on a cross and to pay the death penalty that you deserved to pay, and you've accepted the free gift of salvation that he offers to everyone who calls on his name. You've also repented. You've turned away from your old sinful life, and you've been baptized, and you've left that old life buried in the water so that you could rise up and live a new life where Jesus is leading you every step of the way. And now, you're growing closer to Jesus as the Holy Spirit transforms your heart, and you're running the race of life, and you're doing your best to finish strong, and you're looking forward to spending eternity with God in heaven. Now, all of these things are an indication that you are in Christ. That's one option. But the other option is you don't have that relationship yet. Up to this point, you've been hesitant to give him control of your life. Maybe you've considered it. Maybe you're close. Maybe you just don't feel the need because right now life is just sort of trucking along pretty well. But do you remember what we read earlier? 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. 
For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Remember the description of that great reunion back in chapter 4? The dead will rise, the living will be caught up in the air, and everyone will be together with Jesus forever. That future only applies to those who are in Christ. So if you want to be ready for the second coming and you haven't taken this first step, man, that's where you got to begin. And, and don't drag your feet on this. There is urgency to this. But I realize the decision may not feel urgent. As you go, as you go about your everyday life, going to work, watching TV, hanging out with friends, the things I'm talking about today can seem so far away. They can seem just unreal. But did you catch that phrase in verse 3 there? While people are saying peace and safety, that's when destruction will come. You know, there was a reason that Paul used that phrase, peace and safety. Uh, That was a slogan for the Roman government. It was used as propaganda, especially as they conquered a new territory. They, they would go in, take over some land, and they would tell the people, hey, if you surrender to our rule, we will promise you peace and safety. In Latin, the phrase was pax et securitas. But the problem was, the Romans couldn't really follow through on that promise, could they? Because years later, when their glory days had ended, and the empire began to deteriorate from the inside, barbarian tribes invaded Roman territory, and the whole empire just crumbled. See, no government can truly carry out the promise of peace and safety. No human being, no earthly institution can honestly make that claim. The only real safety and the only real peace is found in Christ. You know, some preachers and some churches have been accused of using scare tactics to convince people to become Christians. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that's not what we're about at Plum Creek. The overwhelming message of Scripture is that God loves you and He wants to be with you forever. And He's gone to great lengths to restore the relationship between us and Him. At the same time, though, We've got to acknowledge the reality. Don't assume that everyone is automatically going to heaven because Scripture is clear. That's just not true. The final judgment is real. It's going to happen. Hell is real. Now, that's not what God wants for anyone, but if a person decides to reject Jesus and never alters that decision, God will honor their wishes. So let's be very clear on this. For anyone outside of Christ, the second coming will be a catastrophe worse than anything you can imagine. The opposite is also true, though. For anyone found in Christ, the second coming will be a blessing greater than anything you can imagine. So that's the first way to be ready. Be found in Christ And assuming you got that base covered, you need to move on to the second category. Be faithful to the end. If you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you you keep that commitment no matter what. And yes, 
There are days when we're just not feeling it, but that's no reason to quit. And yes, there will be temptations, there will be struggles, there may even come a time when we go through serious persecution, but there's no scenario where God gives us permission to just give up and stop walking this path. We're called to be faithful to the end. And that really is a massive undertaking. This goal of being faithful affects every single part of your life. And here's why. In order to be faithful to Jesus, you have to keep growing to become more like Jesus in every situation that you find yourself in. When you're alone, when you're with family, when you're at work or at school. This is every minute of every day. You're constantly learning to love God better, to love others better. You're constantly learning to kill off the sin that still exists in your life so that you can take on the character of Christ. This is a continual process for followers of Jesus, and it won't stop until this life is over. In theological terms, this process is called sanctification. And that's a big word, but sanctification just means being made holy, being transformed into the image of Christ, becoming more like Jesus. Unfortunately, though, Christians often stall out in this process, and our spiritual growth can slow to almost a standstill. In a way, that makes sense, because it's hard to be like Jesus. It's hard to love when you don't feel like it. It's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to to never lose your temper, never give in to sinful desires. But if we stall out in our spiritual growth, we're not being faithful. And you might say, but I just don't have the strength to be like Jesus all the time. And that's absolutely true. But skip down to the end of 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul ends this chapter with a prayer. He's praying for these Christians And listen to what he says, verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God calls us to be faithful and he knows that we don't have the strength to be like Jesus every minute of every day. So he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. God's Holy Spirit will sanctify you, make you holy, make you more like Jesus. Now, we have to surrender to the work of the Spirit, but did you catch the end there? The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. That's a promise we can count on. We can trust that God will help us be faithful all the way to the end. So, we've talked about two ways to be ready for the second coming. First, be found in Christ. Second, be faithful to Christ all the way to the end. But we got to look at one more. Number three is encourage each other. This is a huge theme in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this over and over again. Back in chapter 4, right after Paul describes the second coming in that great reunion with Jesus forever, what does he say next? He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then over in chapter 5, Paul makes that point that we all need to be ready for the return of Christ. And how does he wrap up that paragraph? Let's read it, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Paul says, therefore, 
encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So as a church, how should we spend our time between now and the second coming? This is a big part of it. We should encourage each other to stay faithful to the end. And I'm telling you, this is something we all need. Sooner or later, all of us get caught up in the challenges of life. I am constantly amazed at the number of people in this church who are going through something difficult at any given moment. Right now, some of you are fighting cancer. Some of you have a son or daughter who's just breaking your heart with decisions they've made. Some of you are struggling in your marriage or you're fighting through depression or anxiety. Some of you are feeling distant from God right now and your relationship with Him is not vibrant like it once was. I could, I could go on and on, but you get the idea. This life gets tough. And sometimes that happens all of a sudden. But in those moments, when life gets tough, what do we do? It can be so easy to focus on everything that's wrong. It, it can be so easy to lose sight of the good news. But here's what we need to do. When life gets tough, followers of Jesus should come alongside each other and say, hey, you know, none of this junk cancels out the future that God has for us. Jesus is coming back. Today may be tough, but tomorrow is coming. No matter what your story looks like today, there is a great ending for everyone in Christ. So keep going. Stay faithful. When you read through 1 Thessalonians, this is exactly what Paul is doing for these new Christians. He encourages them to stay faithful, and then he wants them to follow that pattern, to go on and encourage each other. So let's make this personal. At Plum Creek Christian Church, how are we doing in this area? When was the last time someone directly encouraged you? Can you remember that? Or when was the last time you went out of your way to encourage someone else? I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. And I can say that many of you have done a great job of encouraging me. Sometimes it's been an elder. Sometimes it's been a member of our life group. Sometimes it's been one of you coming down at, at the end of a worship service to say something positive. And man, so many times those words just help me keep moving forward. So often we underestimate the power of encouraging words. Sometimes those words can be the difference between someone pressing on and just giving up. So I want to close today with something very practical. You may have noticed that we put a note card and an envelope in the bulletin this morning. This is an opportunity to follow Paul's instructions right here and right now. We have the chance this morning to write notes of encouragement to literally hundreds of people. And I could say, let's all go home and do this, make it a homework assignment, but I have that history of being a procrastinator, remember? And I know I'm not alone, so uh, if we don't do this right now, I know a lot of these cards would never be written. So we're going to take some time right here in the service. If you need an extra card, we've got some in the back of the room at either exit. But really, the, the first thing you need to do is figure out, who is it 
that God is leading you to encourage. And I can give you a couple of suggestions straight from 1 Thessalonians 5. Down in verse 12, Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. So Paul is telling these Christians to encourage the leaders of their church. And with this suggestion, I'm not talking about writing a card to me. Like I said, I've been blessed in that area. But think about others who lead here at Plum Creek. Elders, deacons, life group leaders, ministry team leaders, teachers, on and on and on. These can be thankless roles. And uh, man, it's easy to get discouraged. So is God putting a specific leader on your heart right now? I want to give you one more suggestion. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, Paul writes, encourage the disheartened. Who do you know that's disheartened right now? This is someone who, for whatever reason, they need to lift up their head and remember Jesus. Remember that Jesus has strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Now, I'm guessing that most of us already have a name in mind with these two suggestions, but in case you don't, let me just give you permission. Write whoever you need to write. There are no strict rules on this. We're just encouraging someone. Now, we're going to take a couple minutes to do this, but then it will be on you to put that note in the mail or deliver it yourself. But don't forget, this kind of encouragement is a huge part of what we should be doing between now and when Jesus comes back. So let's get to work. Let's write some notes. You may not be finished with your note, and that's okay. But hopefully you've got to start. Because uh, for us procrastinators, that's usually the, the hardest thing is to get started. But I'm going to pause right now to pray. I'm going to pray that God will use us as a church to encourage each other. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your idea, your idea of the church, this body that is really an extension of you. And this, this is how you are showing your love to this world outside the church, inside the church. We're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to support. Lord, I pray that you will help us to do that. I pray that these notes that are, are being written today will find the right person and just make a huge difference in someone's life this week. And Lord, I pray that we will uh, just continue to look forward to that second coming that we'll be encouraged by that, not preoccupied by it, but uh, we'll have an urgency about the time that we have here. And Lord, if there are any here who need to cross over that line to be found in Christ, I pray that you'll help them to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.